HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm Sam Edwards. I'm third generation cure master from S. Wallace Edwards and Sons in Surrey, Virginia. We support the Heritage Radio Network because we believe in the cause and what they're doing. They're supporting family-raised livestock, small family farms, uh, certified humane, pasture-raised, antibiotic-free. Basically, we take the products from Heritage Foods USA and make them into uh, Serrano-style hams, prosciutto-style hams, bacon, sausage, like my grandfather did. You can find us at Surrey Farms dot com or virginia traditions dot com we talk about food we talk about music with musical dudes finger on the pulse snacky tunes
have hot sauce and barbecue sauce and fat drippings all over my hands, which means you got the show today because I'm already just going to go take a nap. The barbecue and meat coma we're referring to was provided by Dinosaur Barbecue today because we have uh, John Stage in the house. John, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for, uh, (laughs) that's the best intro ever. It's just like, oh, let me just roll up with a tin of meat and as Darren still picks. No one, dude, no one can see us. Uh, That's the best part. It's like burnt caramelized piece. That's it. Uh, it's where fat, smoke, and spice all come together, right there. Uh, John, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of background on on Dinosaur Barbecue? Uh, Dinosaur Barbecue was actually started around 1983 as a mobile concession business. We got into the business of uh, doing all the biker events up and down the East Coast. And once I started crossing the Mason Dixon line, I realized what I was doing and calling myself barbecue was not actually barbecue. We were doing sausage, peppers, and onions, steak sandwiches. Oh, uh, like the uh, street Italian fair type of yeah, stuff. Yeah, but this was, uh, you know, 1983, 1984. So when I say, I didn't know what the hell barbecue was. What was the barbecue scene like there? Because barbecue had ex- was existing at that time. Yeah, but south of the Mason-Dixon line, it really... There was nothing in there the north? There was nothing up north. So, you know, my definition of barbecue at that time was, uh, you know, cooking some sausage, peppers, and onions or a steak sandwich. And that's how this business started. And then as I started going, uh, you know, the, the bike events and the fair business, kind of, it dries up after September, so you'd go down south. And that's when I realized, holy shit, I'm not doing real barbecue. <laughs> I gotta, so I just kind of hit all the, you know, uh, like Memphis was my Shangri-La back then. Right. I always mm-hmm. wanted to, Memphis, I had this image like, you know, just a barbecue mecca. So I went to Memphis and got on the bike and just rode all over the south and got a little taste of what, what the real deal was. Did you get, um, were you able to get any like tips or training or secrets or did you just eat and kind of, I feel like it's so closely guarded. No, you know what it, it, it is, but it isn't. There's a, the barbecue community when, you know, you ask people about barbecue, most times they're not going to give you their secret sauce or their, what their rib recipe right. is, but they're going to give you the, you know, and especially a guy coming from the North. Now people were very good to me. There was a, was a lot the, of generosity. When's the first time you heard about slow and low? Um, when I was told that, what, what I was serving was not barbecue. <laughs> well, Wait, who, who told you? Who like Some guy at the... Uh, I was in Hagerstown, Maryland. Did you roll up thinking you were like, here we go? Oh, yeah, man. Because, yeah. uh, you know, the biker events that we did, you know, we were very well known on the biker circuit. But once we started hitting the fairgrounds and going down south, no one knew who the hell we were. Yeah. So this guy looked at me and said, I don't know what you, you're doing here, son, but this ain't barbecue. I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, no, man, it's about... Low and slow, putting a, building fires. And, and that's what kind of like stoked me. And this is about 1985 now. And that's when I was like, wow, I got to learn what the, what the hell this is all about. So that was actually the first time I heard that term. Was that, what was that night like? Did you go home and you're like, your whole world's upside down? I think we got drunk as hell at yeah. these fairs. Because <laughs> it was kind of like you set up your fair, you drink yourself to sleep, and then uh, get up and do it again the next day. So no, we, we knew that you know the season was ending. And then at that point... We decided we got to retool everything. Right. And what year is this? About 80, 85, I'd say. So so you retool it, and you get tired of the road, and then about like late 80s, you're like, I'm done. I want to open something. Yeah. And you open your first place. Yeah, we opened up in Syracuse. Are you from there? I'm from New York originally, but my family, when uh, we were 13 years old, moved up to Syracuse. And that's where I kind of where I landed. Were there any like barbecue places, like Southern, like Southern barbecue places up there? So no. How was the reception or... You know what, first, uh, the first restaurant in Syracuse made people nervous because there was always bikes out front, and it was like a biker-owned place, and once, then it started catching on a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, and then once we started serving um, beer, 
then everything popped a little <laughs> bit. But if you go back to the 80s, the, the biker world wasn't like it is now. It was much more hardcore back then. And if you had bikes in front of your place back then, it, it, it made certain people not want to go. How did you have bikes in front of your place with no beer? Um, I couldn't get a liquor license at that time. <laughs> <laughs> Were you a biker? Did you used to bike? I still ride, yeah. What do you ride? Uh, I got a 57 Panhead, I got a 74 Shovel, and I got a 08 Softail Deluxe. I'm glad that I asked because I have no idea what you do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, well, yeah. 1957, <laughs> yeah, no, no, 1974, no, no. and a 1908 Harley Davidson. My, my knowledge of motorcycle stops at two wheels. Oh. Okay, yeah, there we'll you go. <laughs> we we try to learn a little something every day on the show uh-huh. as well. Okay. So so you expanded so, there to Syracuse and now how long till the college kids caught on? College kids, uh, man, hard to say. I'm going to say probably after a couple of years because everyone kind of caught on after a right. couple of years. But that first two years in business, I could have I could have closed the door a hundred times and no one would have no one like oh I never made it to that place. <laughs> now you have a now uh, real smoker up there. Um, we, yes, we did. We put a real smoker in around 1980. Let's say I opened up in 88, and that's when we got our first first smoker. And before, you just had the mobile rig, right? Yeah. All right. So 88, you're in Syracuse, and then it was like 10 years before you got a second location, right? 88, 98. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, 98, I started bottling my barbecue sauce in Rochester, and I kept going by this beautiful old train station that was abandoned. Which we've been to. That's right. You said you've yep. been in that. Remember? So, oh, yeah. I, yeah. Not, yes. Tour. Yep. Yeah. So that was a 1905 train station that was completely abandoned. And I just fell in love with the architecture of the building. It's amazing. And I decided to open up a second one, which wasn't the best business plan because it was like the, the architecture kind of inspired me to do it. But right. I, had no, you know, I had no idea how to open up a second one 90 miles away. So that was a you know, school of hard knocks as then, usual. What's that? Like, it's gonna, but that's like a what, hour plus drive? It's an hour and a half, but it still doubles. Automatically, you've doubled the size of your, rest, your, your company. Right. And if you don't have the infrastructure in place to do it right, so I was... So, like, so, so building... Oh, I was like, I have a question. So building that infrastructure, and because like, we to- were talking about before we got on air, but you had mm-hmm. to get out of the pit, how do you pass the quality control for something that's so specific? Like, you know, I always feel like barbecue, it's like, I got to... Mm-hmm. It's got to be. It's like the, it's usually like one guy, yeah, and it's like his mm-hmm. recipe that he's perfected. So how do you pass that over, and you know, with the confidence that, or how do you find the guys that are like not going to be like, well, I think this should have a little bit more paprika, so I'm throwing that in. Well, I, I I'm open to all ideas. You know, if somebody wants to change something, they really have got to present it to me of like why this is going to be better. Other than that, you don't mess with the barbecue, and plus I give everybody a little piece of the action. To, to be vested in mm, what mm. we do because I could not grow what I do if I didn't have people that it's really the people no it's I think it's, it's growing any uh, empire or business you have to have the people who no they doubt. have ownership if they feel that they're just working for you at some point even the most dedicated person just goes eh yeah. like I'm never going to see more than my paycheck exactly you know exactly. I, I hate to put it so bluntly but that's no you got to give people a, yeah. you got to share you got to share a little bit because you want people to care like you care yeah. and, th- and that's really what barbecue is all about it's like really caring about you know the nurturing process of cooking this meat for 12 hours it goes in rough and tough 12 hours later you've lost 50% of the yield but now it falls off the bone it's tender but it takes a process and it's a craft to get it that way and, and they got to believe in it. They got to completely believe. What's a? I, I don't. I guess the question is: Have you ever had a failed batch of barbecue? Oh yeah, yeah, we have. What is that? What happens? Because because you know a lot of times the, the, the beautiful thing about slow roasting me is like, do your dry rubber marinade, whatever mm-hmm. have you, throw it in, make sure the fire's hot, 
See you in 12 hours. No, no, I wish it was. If, if it was that easy, everybody would do it. It ain't that easy. Um, you, probably the times we've lost is, it's called combustion. When you put on wood too quick yeah. and too much air gets in and then all this black soot. Oh. So we've lost a couple loads in my career that way. And there's nothing you can do about it. They're, they're done. And that's when you say no brisket today or no, <laughs> no pork today. Or you've had fires in the pits. Yeah, that's usually. But, but, but if something comes out and it's still a little tight, it can always go back in. Right. But if it's overcooked, it's, it's, it's dog food. Does, it, does that happen? Has that happened to you any time in the last five years, ten years? Of um, what I just yeah. Combustion? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it has. Just uh, nature. So can yeah. we go back real quick to what it's like uh, from a mental state of, you know, you, ha- you have the success mm-hmm. in Syracuse and then you start and then you start bottling the sauce, which is mm-hmm. usually, uh, have we found the first way that like businesses really start growing is when mm-hmm. you can be like having products sell for you where you don't need to be there. Right. You know, the whole branding of that. Mm-hmm. What is that mindset? Like, what did you go through as you were building Rochester and then eventually leading to Harlem? Well, what I learned is like, you know, I've, I've always been kind of a control freak. Uh-huh. And I've always had to. So what I tried to do is do everything myself. And then I was just running myself ragged, oh, completely yeah. ragged. So it really made me, uh, you know, regroup and think about, man, how do I? Yeah, it's great that I can cook this. But boy, what if I can teach somebody to do that mm-hmm. and keep them motivated? I think that's where the magic is. Right. When you can get somebody who can cook that as good as you. That that's more of an accomplishment, I think, than you just having to do it yourself all the time and pushing people away because you can't you can't grow at that point. No, you can't, especially if you have the vision. Mm-hmm. You know, some people are just really great at the ta- the task and then mm-hmm. teaching. But you know, if you have this whole vision of like a brand, mm-hmm. but uh, we're gonna play a song. But but one we, question, we are, are yeah. But um, so I know that it sounded like you know you had part you had your two partners. Mm-hmm. How did you come up? With uh, a recipe or a flavors that you were okay with, it, it, sometimes it seems like this stuff is like one one person's vision, and then mm-hmm. it, it goes out. Or were you more like the the taste, and they were the business, or how did that work? Well, it was uh, you know these are all my recipes. The sauce is my recipe. Um, I've always had the culinary arm of things. Um, my two original partners, you know, they're they've they they've since went their their separate ways. So um, the way of the dinosaur, <laughs> yeah, kind of in, in, in its own in its own way. Thank you. Um, so you know to develop a taste like that barbecue sauce changed a hundred times by the time I actually put it into the bottle, right? Because it was always like you know tweak, retweak, and I'm always uh, I'm always tweaking. Man. But now oh. is it now a set flavor? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So once it goes in, once it goes in the bottle, <laughs> <laughs> right? It, it's it's pretty much it. All right, so we're gonna take a break and we're gonna come back. We're gonna talk about coming to New York, coming to Harlem, and yeah, urban yeah. barbecue and sure. w- what's happened there.
So we have John Stage from Dinosaur Barbecue in here, uh, and now we've gone. I'm through still th- picking, by the way. I, n- I, I know I, you are. I, don't 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 make it seem like it's just me. It's, I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. I know. We're, so you pick every day. I pick every day. Every day. Yeah. yeah. What What's your favorite thing to pick at? Uh, well, the the pork shoulder is going to get picked at. The brisket's going to get a slice. There's going to be a, a chicken wing that disappears. And oh, your chicken wings are. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, they're good. You I know like what? For, a lot of people don't get to experience barbecued chicken most wings. Mm-hmm. You know, most times it's just like fried. Right. Uh, how did you come up with your wings? Because I love chicken wings, but if <laughs> okay, I... go if, on. <laughs> if, I eat, if I eat fried wings, I feel terrible after yeah. I eat them. So... Well, you feel sort of good. Well, good going in, yeah, but... Um, yeah, 20 minutes later, you got that hate-the-world coma. <laughs> well, the grease kind of kills <laughs> yeah. me, you know, the deep frying. Yeah. So I just wanted to do a, a little different version of it, so we put them in a barbecue pit. This is years ago. Threw them on a grill, and it was uh, love ever since. Yeah, that, that uh, blue cheese dressing sauce, just it's awesome. Yeah, it's nice. So, so we got up to 98. You're in Rochester. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're only 90 miles apart from home base. Mm-hmm. Then you start, when you start looking to New York, when you start looking to, and why do you start looking to Harlem? Because uh, 2004, Harlem is not... The, 
the Harlem it was today. No, it's a little different, a little different. Um, well, my son went to college, and he, he left, uh, left the house. This is, uh, he's going, he went to the Culinary Institute. Mm-hmm. So um, he leaves around 2001, and um, I just wanted to, I wanted to come back to New York at that point. Yeah. I knew it, uh, me and my girlfriend at the time, and any free moment we got, we'd come down to the city. And um, I ended up getting an apartment down here. I said, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm gonna base myself here, start taking a look around. Uh huh. And um, my family's all from uh, um, Washington Heights originally. Okay. So um, it just, uh, you know, I, I looked all over Manhattan and nothing felt like barbecue to me. And it really didn't. You know, it was like it's just too tight, too closed in, too high to buildings. Right. And then um, I would leave upstate or leave to go back from New York upstate, and I'd always get on 125th Street yep. and get on the on and off ramp there. And I was like, wow. I love this neighborhood. It just feels like barbecue. And um, I had a, originally had a lease in Brooklyn over on uh, Fifth Avenue and Union. And then I had something I was looking at in uh, Williamsburg back uh, back then. And then I ended up finding this one here in Harlem. I was like, man, this is it right here. It's a beautiful spot. I, I knew it the second I and second I was there, I knew it. Packed. I've never been there when it wasn't packed. Yeah, it's, it's popping, man. It does well. Yeah. It does. What, was it like instantly received? You know what it was? We, we opened up pretty strong out of the gate so yeah. so i mean oh four were you guys the first big barbecue place to open in the city no blue smoke opened up blue about, smoke about four months before we. but did. even but blue smoke is i mean it's 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 different because mm-hmm. when i think of blue smoke i think of a little bit more high end yeah yeah not not that you're doing but like you know right. the whole empire is sort of like yeah yeah they do a nice job they do a nice job uh now do you guys have an actual smoker in harlem yeah we got four of them how do you guys i thought there was a city ordinance where you couldn't have us no what is that what no, is that myth okay the myth is really and then again it's it's <laughs> more everybody than thinks this, right it's if somebody all right say let's just say a blue smoke for example there's million dollar condos two million dollar yeah. condos around it if they're smelling your smoke and they start complaining now you got a problem where i'm at Somebody in Jersey may smell it, you know, across the river. You can smell it. You know, when I come over the bridge, uh, over the Riverside Bridge, I can smell it when I'm on my motorcycle. And then they just get off the exit and go right to the rest yeah, of the Yeah, so it's, it's really who's complaining and, you know, what you do with your smoke. And then there's scrubbers you can put on it. There's, there's ways around everything. But being in the interior of Manhattan is much more difficult than, let's say, if uh, Roberta's put a barbecue pit out yeah i mean there. they've got the open yeah, oven the, over there yeah, in the summer right. and like no one there's no, there's no one around to complain exactly about it and that's why you know when i was uh in that neighborhood originally it was all meatpacking guys auto body shops so there was nobody complaining right you know, around it so and then you were already there right when exactly. they came in yeah and so the neighborhood yeah well, in 2003 you know there's a lot of homeless a lot of crackheads a lot of a lot of just craziness and then um you know it all just started changing around a little bit so you know now you're in and now next year you're going to be expanding to mm-hmm. other to other states. Yeah, we're going to Newark. To Newark. How did yeah. you how did you pick Newark? You know, I catered for the uh, the mayor about three four years ago, uh, uh, Cory Booker, and they uh, reached out and said, "Wow, we really like what you did in Harlem. Would you like to come to Newark?" And uh, this, you know, and then I went out there and I looked around and I wasn't ready and I just wasn't feeling it yet. You know, yeah. it was still Newark's you know was real raw back then. This is before the Prudential Center was was built. And then every year I just went out there because I like going over to the Ironbound and hitting uh, some of the Portuguese joints out there. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Good, good stuff yeah. out there. And then um, this pastime, again, so often I fall in love with a building. And it's this old chandelier factory. And it's right next to the Prudential Center. Uh-oh. And it's got original mosaic tile floors, brick walls, 
uh, tin ceilings from the 1800s, all that were covered up, you know, by really crummy tile and drop ceilings. Right. It it just, it's absolutely beautiful. And I I like the energy in Newark, what's happening over there. That's great. Um, Let me go back uh, a little bit. So you, you came here 2004, and now barbecue has sort of taken over New York City in a certain way, you know, with like... Hill Country, Fetzau, the sure. Big Apple Barbecue. Mm-hmm. Um, is it a tight community? Is it a is it a sort of like everyone's doing their own thing type of community? You know, since you guys were and arguably com- one of the first. And yeah. how's it compared to like the South when you went down there in the eighties? You know, I, I think New York's got some great barbecue. Number one, I think you know between uh, Fetzau and all, all the other people out there. So it's a community that when we get together, it's a lot of fun. But everyone does their own thing. No, no one barbecue place has copied anybody in New York, which <laughs> is great. True. Everybody does their own thing. And there's some really good stuff out there. So um, I, I think we all respect what we do with each other. And when we do happen to get together, we have a lot, you know, we have a few drinks. Have a, Just a few? Uh, yeah, well, a few more than a few sometimes. <laughs> and, it's, and it's actually a lot of fun. So, no, there's some really good people in the barbecue world here. What's your favorite drink with uh, barbecue? Uh, you know, my first go-to is beer. Yeah. Without a doubt. What type of beer? You know, I got 24 on tap, so I'm always uh, tasting them, but I've been really liking the six points. Anything by six point right now. I'm re- I, I like the six point crisp. Yeah, with, uh, I, I just barbecue. had that this weekend. It's really good. It's really good. I like the um, um, uh, Blue Point toasted lagers. Great with it. I mean, I had three yesterday. It was Sunday yeah. fun day. Oh, dude, they're good. They're, they're good. good. And we just came out with a smoked, um, a smoked porter. Which, believe it or not, it's not as heavy as you, you think. Wait, you make beers? Um, no, I got a guy in uh, Syracuse. Okay. Uh, middle-aged brewery makes it. And he smoked uh, smoked the hops and smoked nice. everything. And that's that, that goes really good. And it's a lot lighter. It surprised me. It's a lot lighter than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And uh, Turkey Day coming up. Oh, yeah. Doing a lot of turkey. You said 50? We're gonna. We're at about forty-two right now. So are they all spoken for? Or do people just come in? No, no. Right now they're, they they got to be spoken for. Okay. So we're we're hitting our capacity right now. That's so awesome. Just to be like, okay, you know, I'm not gonna cook a turkey. I'm just gonna order one up. <laughs> yeah, do it's you do, a little bit easier. Do you do catering out of all of your locations? Or just, oh yeah, okay. oh yeah. We do a lot of catering. So yeah. imagine it's a busy time for you guys coming up between now and the holiday season. The holidays, are, yeah. We're we're putting a, a, a catering facility upstairs. And I was trying to get it open for the holidays, but I, I just got overwhelmed, and it's going to have to be afterwards. But we do a lot of so I'm looking to get the catering under the roof. But now we're going, you know, it, it goes out there. Awesome. Okay. Well, John, thank you so much, guys. Thanks for having me. Donnerstorebarbecue.com is the website. We are gonna, well, we're, we're making a dent. <laughs> I'm making, you're a dent. making a dent. I'm done. Uh, and uh, Dino Bar BBQ NYC is the Twitter. Anything else that people should hit up for uh, to find you? Find all your oh, you barbecue the, sauce. You got the cookbook, shirts. right? Yeah, cookbook came out in uh, 2001. Yeah, so it's everything. So you got to do for another one. I don't know, man. I got something new to say. How many times can I say low and slow again? You know, and do I uh, well, say recipe? slow and low? Yeah, yeah, maybe I put it backwards. Maybe I put it backwards. <laughs> I, 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 I have faith that you guys will come up with the new recipes and new stuff. And but you know, this is. I mean, that's the thing about barbecue. It's like you come back to the same place year in year out. It's just like. That's it. The best stuff. There you go. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Right. Uh, we're gonna play a couple songs. What I, what I got? I don't know, but we got Liam. Liam, you uh, you like digested things a little bit. <laughs> I'm, I'm very feeling very relaxed. Yeah, it's pretty pretty mellow. Maybe open up a nice bottle of red and just yeah. turn the lights down. But we're gonna get some. Uh, we got some tracks.
Um, I just want to give a quick shout out before we get into Liam. Um, I went to this place last night called Norman Norman's Kill. Oh, right next to Key Foods. Did you go see Sam last night? I, hung I did. Sam. Uh, and it was uh, it's a whiskey grilled cheese bar, and that's it. Yeah, I I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I got like a little emotional about it because it was so perfect. And everything. I don't know, Liam, if you drink a lot of whiskey I, or, or I bourbon. A, I am a whiskey fan, yes. Yeah. And do you suffer from cheese dreams? What's cheese dreams? Well, when you eat a lot of cheese, you have really intense dreams quite often. It's well, I actually anyway. really weird you say it because I, I really don't really have dreams. And last night I had really cra- like fucked up crazy cheese dreams. Cheese dreams. Yeah. Medical affliction. Well, Liam, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I was saying before you were first brought to my attention five years ago by a coworker who was trying to figure out how to bring you over uh, from your home of New Zealand. Um, all I had to do was wait for him to move here. Yeah, years. all I had to do was wait <laughs> five five years. Um, and welcome to New York. Thank you. How long have you been here? Um, well, we kind of moved over here at the beginning of the year, March, April, but I was on tour all year, so I can't really say I lived here until about two months ago. And do you have barbecue like this down in New Zealand? No, we've got, we've got a very different style of barbecue, which is kind of beach, summertime, uh, grill kind of barbecue stuff. It's, it's still barbecue in my mind. It's, it's different. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. We don't but, do the slow kind of um, pulled pork, and we don't use barbecue sauce that much. And Yeah. Oh, my and, God. I'm so full. I, I, Thank I, you for I, putting away the pork. Yeah. <laughs> we needed a break. Um, so you put a record out this year. It's called FOMO yes. on Yep Rock. Is it fear of missing out? Is that what it stands it for? It is, yeah. Because I have suffered from that for many a year. Have suffered or continue to suffer? I'm, I'm in treatment. I'm getting yeah. better. I'd say anyone that says they don't suffer from FOMO is a liar. I, 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 I have repeatedly told people that I will be like 75, talk to my grandkids, be like, how was the party last night? Did Grandpa yeah. miss out? Yeah. Who played? Was Sheena there? You know? <laughs> exactly. Like it just, it, it's, it's born inside of you. Yeah. Well, it's, it's nice to know that it's an international affliction. Well, it's only, it's only getting amplified these days with the amount of you know, social networking letting us oh, know yeah. what's going on all the time and what you're missing out on and, you or, know, and people boasting you, about what they're doing are you by better, showing us. You know? better not to have known about the party that you didn't go to last night? I think it's better not to know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of think Ignorance that, is bliss. I kind of think that um, I take the opposite way. Like, I can take a look at something I wasn't at and I was like, that looked awful. I'm yeah. so glad I didn't go. Boo. I'm just saying. I've seen you morning after has been like, should I have gone? I, I've gotten so much. It's, it's gotten better. When's, uh, what's, what's, your, what's your level of FOMO at in a 1 to 10? Uh, at the moment, I'm actually feeling no FOMO. Even though I just wait, did you just say? Well, I'm obviously Whoa. lying. Please no. go, please go back but thirty just, seconds on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that little thirty <laughs> loop thing. No, no, but I guess what I, I don't, I'm not saying I don't suffer from it. But at this present moment, because I'm just sort of settling into being in New York and I'm having a really good time. I had a good weekend. It's, it's got, I've got a good oh, week so coming up. I'm on snacky tunes, you know. Like oh, so I'm, I'm not missing out on anything. Oh, yeah. Right, FOMO is the obvious cure for snacky tunes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you're 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 actively in it, so you're not missing out. Exactly. That's why I moved right. to New York. But let's go back to when was the last time you really had a big a case of FOMO? Um, I suppose like it, there's there's different types of FOMO, isn't there? There's ones where you're like missing out on like your your mother's birthday and the, and all your family are there and you talk to them and you get that little ache of oh I right. wish I was there. Like real are, real FOMO. Yeah, and then there's ones that are like didn't go to the party or your friends on Facebook post a photo of all hanging out and you're not there and they tag you anyway just to rub it in your nose. Oh, that's like th- whoa. wow, that's like forced FOMO. Yeah, we're cruel people down in New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know about that. <laughs> Man, that's something. Um why don't why don't we get a song? Okay. Uh are you going to play playing mostly stuff off the new record? Um yeah, I'll play um 
I, I play. It's kind of hard because we, we opened with that track that is on the new record, and I was actually I forgot that I sent that to you, and I was going to play that no, one. No, you can so still I, play it. I might do. I might do a couple of old ones as well, just because it works good with this little tiny amp setup I've got. I, I promise. Uh, we we you can play whatever you want. But this one I'll do is off FOMO, and it's okay. called Cold Feet. Just one. 
Yeah. Thank you. That was awesome. Thank you. Awesome. The, the hushed voice of his God, singer. Can like, I tell you, you something? I want a sweater or a suit that invokes the s- style of the Vox. And, you know what I mean? Like, every time I see it, I'm like, that would just... It's like someone, someone could type of tweed kind of thing. Yeah, like. There's just something about it where I'm just like, if you could just somehow turn that into clothing. The aesthetic. The aesthetic. That's a good thought. I think you're onto something. Yeah. It, what was the name of that song? It's called Cold Feet. Don't have cold feet about that idea. No. No, not at all. But you uh, might at some point. Yeah. So maybe I want to act on it now. Um, so being a, a New Zealander, uh, how did how did you f- uh, grow as an artist to be able to you know, gain fans stateside and internet being what it is, you know, I know that helped to some point, but was it just like life on the road or how did you, you know, start to get outside of your country's borders? Um, well, I think it's a pretty natural thing for New Zealanders to kind of leave the country. We're kind of, we're like the highest traveler per capita of all nations, apparently. Is it like Australians where they just go on around, like go away for two years? Yeah, kind of. I think, um, you know, we'd like to think we're a bit more focused about it, not just there to drink. <laughs> but to be honest, I moved to London about six, seven years ago, and most New Zealanders I met were just getting drunk. Right. Um, but I went there with my band, and it was kind of the, I guess Australia was, we went, we moved to Australia first as a sort of stepping stone to get out of the country and try and get, you know, have a career. And then it was obvious that Australia was just another place that you set up and don't get noticed anywhere else in the world. Right. So we moved to England because that's the logical step, and... London was great, but it was also, it, to be honest, that was kind of the main sort of factor in what turned me into a solo artist and created the record that it ended up sort of getting me noticed overseas. So I guess it was a... a was there uh, tensions in London? Yeah, well, I guess it was a, a combination <laughs> of band breaking up and a relationship breaking up and all those classic things that inspire creativity, you know, heartache. And, and those uh, down cold, cold London 4 nights. p.m., dark, cold, exactly, rainy London. yeah. <laughs> Were you there during the winter? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, well, that'll do it. And, it. and it was depressing and terrible, and it meant going home was always really great, and I went home and made um, my first solo record with... In London? No, yeah, I wrote it all in London, but I went back to New Zealand okay. and... Um, Recorded it and it kind of had, I, I'd sort of just, I'd stopped doing stuff with my band, so it was kind of completely for me. I wasn't really even planning on, I didn't know who was going to release it, if anyone was going to like it. I did it all myself, engineered it and produced it myself and mixed it myself and just played everything myself. And, and all of a sudden, um, this label in, in the States kind of got interested in my old band at the same time as I'd finished this record, so I started talking to them and things just kind of fell into place. In what, did, what did you eat when you were in London? What did I eat? Crap. It was terrible food. Not literal crap, but just, <laughs> obviously. It, no, but I did. Get, I did actually get to invent my signature dish, which is a chili bacon pasta. Go on, and that is, and it, it it doesn't taste the same. Like in each country has its own way of it tasting, but and London was the original one, so I have to argue that that is the best chili how, bacon. How did that come about? Um, it was just something that because we were we had other friends, other musicians that were living there as well, and we were all pretty poor, so we would just pull our you know, small amounts of money together and I would cook up huge batches of this chili bacon pasta and no matter how much I made, and I would make a shitload of it, um, it would always get completely eaten. It was almost like a drug. It was like something you keep picking at like this barbecue. And Just, there's a run-down house like train spotting and it's just on the table. Yeah, I, that's more of a, you know, like, it's a more uh, wild than it maybe was, but I'll, I'll go with that. I think that's more romantic. So, so what brought you to, uh, to New York? Um, I guess I'd, I've done a lot here in the last few years. I've done a lot of touring here, and um, I guess in some ways I've based my career out of the States, even though I've 
I haven't really lived anywhere for a few years because I was touring so much that it just made sense because it costs so much to live in New Zealand and fly here. You know, if you've got a band and stuff, there's 20 grand down in tickets straight off the bat right. to do a tour. So it made sense just to base myself here. And I think it's just, it's really nice to immerse yourself in a in a place where there is a lot of competition and there's a lot of amazing stuff being made. So not only is it inspiring, but it's also a really big challenge and a good way to kick yourself up the ass to do something great rather than just good. And it's easier to get in front of a lot more new fans. It's not just like a one, like I hope they come to my New York show. Yeah. And you have a you have a residency coming up, right? Yeah, in January at the the rock shop. Where's where's that? I think it's sort of um it's almost Park Slope, it's sort of South Brooklyn. I don't know if it's quite in Park Slope. I should know this because I I'm telling people to come to it. But um It's January. You got time. Some people time. a lot of people that I've met that know the rock shop have a have a big love for it and say it's a great sounding room and we let so, we let people do a lot of prep. Like we ask all the early questions on the show, and then like you can go home and research the ideas. Yeah. And all that stuff. Well, also, no one's making plans past Thanksgiving, no. and, and definitely not past Christmas. And I holiday. kind of, I kind of wanted it like a. We had a choice of a Monday or a Wednesday night, and I thought Monday is the perfect night of the week because you don't really. New York doesn't really exist on the whole like Monday's dead and Friday's party. It's right. like, but less people have plans on a Monday, so it feels like in the winter time it's going to be a good way to keep warm. Come to my residency yeah. on Monday. I think a Monday residency. One of our favorite bands, um, Pela, who are now we're Augustines. All oh, right, they were one, like, I the toured f- with Pela. Oh, you did? Well, I, I was supposed to. We did two shows with them, and the, the singer fell off the stage and cut a tendon in his hand, and they canceled the rest of the tour. Billy, Billy, yep. yeah. Now they're back as a new band called We're Augustines, which are great. Right. They were on a few weeks ago. Did you continue on on that tour or was the whole tour canceled? We, we did, but we continued it on. Um, but like I was my my first American tour and I and came came over here and we stuck, we did the first New York show. It was great. Sold out. Did the second show. Packed as in Chicago. And then he fell off. The, he got like stage invaders. You know, everyone's dancing. And yeah. that's when he cut his hand. So we went to Minneapolis and did the, just played the show to a bunch of people who were a bit confused that they weren't seeing Paler, but... I think we did a good job anyway, you know, we've got a good, we, we're, me and EJ, when we used to perform, we were very good at playing in front of a room of people that had no clue what to expect. What's like the first trick, like, to get them on your side? Um, it's pretty much just throttling them by the neck and <laughs> blasting them with fuzz and me smashing the drums as hard as I can. That's right. Why don't we hear another song? Sure. It's the kind of the antithesis to yeah. what we do in a live yeah. setting, but hey, I can't bring all the drums in. <laughs> no, this Next is, time. Yeah, next time. <laughs> We'll get a bigger shaping container. Except I wish you were here 
Yeah, right who's that? Is that song written from a cold, lonely London night? It, it is actually written about you guys. Oh. Huh. That just got real awkward. I'm sorry we yeah. weren't there in well, the past. I know. That was when I was in London and you guys were here <laughs> just probably just starting Snacky Tunes. Uh, pro- probably. So what are your uh, uh, plans for your time in New York? New record? Tours? Yeah, I, the, I guess the... You know, outside of just immersing myself in the culture, your fine culture. Um, Wait, hold on a second. Pause. What, what, <laughs> what do you, because I'd love to ask you this in a year from now, what do you perceive as our fine culture? What are the things that you'd like to get immersed in? Uh, you know, football. and. Oh, uh, come on now. Yeah. No, I, I think it's just, um, this is a big place. And, it, and you know, America's been through a lot in the last 10 years, that's for sure, especially from an outside perspective. Um, you know, when I grew up, America was the, the utopia and now it's showing it's it's both sides really it's cracks and stuff and i I find that really um enthralling really i I think that it's you know with all the occupy wall street stuff that's going on and and you know it as much as it sometimes feels quite helpless i also feel like it's the beginning of a really interesting time and this place picking itself back up and as a as a musician i think it's great to be part of that and new york is obviously such a hub of music and art and and all kinds of things like that that i I just think that um new zealand's a very community-based place musically and new york feels the same but only a lot bigger and a lot more um it's very welcoming you know i actually i think it's a lot more friendlier than london obviously but uh yeah it's just exciting to be part of something again and uh, you know as as brief as my stay has been so far i've already met a lot of really wonderful people and got this residency on the cards and did this rock lottery thing last weekend, which was oh yeah, let's fun talk about rock lottery. Lottery, with Turney did it, which is great. Yeah, it was it was cool. It was just um twenty five different Brooklyn musicians put together like names picked out of a hat and five different bands made on the spot. And we had like ten hours or eleven hours to write three or four songs to come and perform that night. Wait, so the for band, charity? So the band names were picked out like on Friday or Friday or Saturday morning. This the people, yeah. Like they had five drummers and they're the captains and they each pick four other names. Right. And I went along with actually a bit of, you know, a bit invested in the lottery aspect because I was quite a fan of. Um, I'm a fan of Deerhoof and the drummer from Deerhoof, who I think is amazing, was one of the captains. And I turned up a bit late and Tierney said. Oh Liam, Greg, you're already here in Greg's band. I was like, yes. yes. And then like, mm. yeah, nice to meet you, man. And yeah. Just, like acted all coy. But yeah, play it coy. Like, oh, <laughs> cool man. Yeah, I think I have. A, I've heard a couple of your songs. Yeah, but no, that was it. Was really awesome, and everyone that was in, got picked in the band that we were in called S of So. Um, were just lovely people, and everyone took it really, really seriously. And what was the uh, the musical vibe? We were pretty. We were pretty heavy, really. We were kind of like punky. We had one slow jam though that. Um, one, 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 for the, one for the ladies one for the ladies and it was a real sort of get the one you love and grind up against them kind of song I was classic good. love story we had it yeah we had we had a really good response and I think the whole night was a was a real success you know like I had no idea what what it would be like or what the vibe would be but it was uh, it was fantastic that's awesome um, we want to thank you for being on the show cheers what are the nuts and bolts Twitter Facebook website so you can find out um, it's it's mostly just my name so the Twitter is just at Liam Finn I think Sometimes when I can't get that because there's some other bastard out there called Liam Finn, um, I just put an S on the end, Liam Finns. Oh, 
but I think Twitter is Liam Finn. Uh, Facebook's just Liam Finn as well. Uh, you can look at my website, which is liamfinn.tv, and that will take you to the Facebook because I don't have a website. Fair. So there you go. Uh, so thank you for joining us. Cheers. Thanks oh, for wait. Me. So what are you doing for Thanksgiving? Uh, we're having a, 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 a like a big bunch of not just New Zealanders, but uh, quite a few bacon. New Zealanders. Chili, Chili bacon. bacon. Oh, we're going to go to the turkey. We, I, I looked into the turducken because I thought that sounded so over the top. It was amazing. Yeah. And through seeing photos of it over and over, like listening to like looking at barbecue every day you don't always feel like it after i looked at about 10 photos of Tuduck and i decided that it was disgusting i feel like i, I could do a bite yeah, at someone's exactly. house yeah but like if that was your effort and like, to invest a hundred dollars in a Tuduck and i'm looking at to, it right now yeah see what i mean is that oh. just doesn't look that good does it you know what i've never had one and uh, i'll never like unless someone unless someone makes one yeah, I'm never. I'm exactly. never going to go out of my way to get one. So we've we've got the turkey. We're gonna we're gonna dry dry brine it or something. Was it something? No. no, dry rub or brine. Dry rub it. There you go. Yeah, dry brine. Dry brine. John Stage is actually is about. He's like, what did you say? It's like, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Hey, uh, so we are going to be in Philly Wednesday night. DJ set punches <laughs> for all of our Philly podcast listeners. You never know. Anyway, it's Safari. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. I'm super excited. And uh, we'll be kicking around. And then we're back next Monday. Super excited. Kelsey Nixon's going to be on the show. And um, I'm blanking on the musical guest. You're really good at your job. I know. I'm really good at it. Anyway, oh, it's... Um, so you're vinyl. the foodie and you're the music... Yeah. I'm just more well-organized. Okay. He's more of a shit show. I book, a, I book some food stuff. Anyway, <laughs> Liam, thank you so much for being on here. Cheers. Um, take us out. Well, for, and always, thank you to Grace. Yeah, gotta oh, yeah thank, thanks, Grace. Gotta thank the PR people. And, they, uh, make, they make so much of this happen. Uh, take us out with one more. Cool. This song's called Better To Be. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank yeah. you. And uh, we're coming back live next week's Snacky Tunes. Awesome. <laughs>
Maybe. Maybe. 